Welcome back to the um, Home Bible Study Podcast. We are currently studying in the letter to the Hebrews, and we have made it to chapter 4. The last time we looked at the end of chapter 3, we got some pretty um, severe warnings about living the life of a Christian, the, the life of a believer, and how that we have this danger of not entering into the rest of God um, by quenching God, the Holy Spirit's ministry in us. And we can do that very easily because we have the two natures that dwell in us. And if we, they war against one another. And if we uh, lean um, towards the old nature, then that's going to quench the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. We always have God, the Holy Spirit, indwelling us because he has sealed us until the day of our full redemption when we stand in the heavenlies with the Lord Jesus and we um, praise him in the Father uh, through the power of the God, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit carries us through this life, but we can live in such a way that we do not experience the full blessing of the peace or the, the, that peace that surpasseth all understanding and that trust and faith in the Lord Jesus through God, the Holy Spirit's ministry in us. So we want to be careful and we were warned by the writer to the Hebrews uh, in the end of verse three to be careful not to allow that to happen because that is a danger. And if you continue to live and walk that way, uh, you're going to um, cause yourself harm as well as your ministry, uh, your purpose. You'll lose sight of your purpose in life and you could easily, um, you know, end up in a, in a bad place. Uh, And, and we, we only have so much that we can do in this life and this life is short some people may live to be a hundred but that's still a very short life and the older i get the the more aware i am of that so we have to redeem the time that we have we live in uh today and this is it's a time that we were designated to live in and we have a purpose uh, to fulfill in the Lord Jesus, and we needed we need to collectively and individually be pursuing that. So that was the warning in verse three. Now we transition into verse four, and the warning had to do with not entering into the rest that God has for us, that that peace, and it's a it's a picture of the uh, nation Israel. And when they were promised the land, they were delivered initially from Egypt out of bondage. And then they were promised that they would be delivered into this land and the land crossing over the Jordan and going into the land and taking the land. It's not so much a picture of um, entering into heaven, you know, when the believer passes in heaven, it's more. It more is it's more of a picture of the believer entering into the Christian walk that causes us to grow and develop and get closer and closer to the Lord Jesus and allows us to uh, benefit more and more from that relationship. And that's what we should be doing in our progressive walk in this life is to take in more and more of those benefits and those benefits are inexhaustible in our lifetime. So uh, we want to capture as much of that as possible. So that was the picture that was kind of painted, the example that was made. So now we're going to continue on this doctrine of God's rest. And I think in verse four, we're going to see this doctrine further flushed out and developed. And we'll see how that the, the God's rest has a much broader application and uh, God, the Holy Spirit is going to help us to see through the writer of this letter 
that that application is broader than uh, even what we may have understood in the past. So uh, I'll go ahead and read uh, first um, the entire chapter and then we'll get into the study. So if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh uh, seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in his and in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited a certain day, saying, In David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also be ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now that's a lot, and I know that's a, a lot more than I usually cover in one lesson, but I think we have to um, put all this together so that we get the full understanding. Now I will admit uh, it took several readings of this for me to understand because this is not easy. Um, the letter of the Hebrews in general is not an easy study. I would say of all the things that I've studied, this has probably been the most difficult. And it's not because it's written in a way that makes it difficult. It's just that there is such a density of information um, that is here that you really have to have a foundation of a lot of other books of the Bible uh, and letters to really understand or to have a really an opportunity to come to understanding of all that's being said here. And I don't even think I'm capturing everything, but I do uh, feel comfortable with the fact that I have a basic understanding and I'm going to try to convey that to you. But it is uh, really wonderful when you um, really start to understand these things. And it shows you a lot about the depth and the wisdom that is in uh, the Lord Jesus and how that he has taken these very deep things and used men to communicate them. That uh, is to his glory and should be a comfort to us to know that he's able to do anything that we need and communicate to us. So without further ado, in verse one, it says, let us therefore. So therefore is always looking back to what was being said before. And we, we know that 
we started the uh, understanding or the explanation of the rest of God. And it, it was the application in chapter three had more to do with quenching the the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, and not fully entering into that peace that all believers have uh, through the Lord Jesus. That's something that he's given us. Now, that would have been very, very important to the uh, Hebrews at this time because they were alienated from everything. They were under a heavy persecution. And so it was it would have been very easy for them to get discouraged. So um, the writer here is encouraging them. This is, hey, do not turn from your greatest strength. Your greatest strength is this is the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So don't allow the world, the flesh and the devil to rob you of that power and of that comfort that the Lord Jesus has given us in God, the Holy Spirit. That's who he is. And that's his ministry is to comfort us. So I'm sure, you know, surely the uh, the enemy would like for you not to have that comfort and power, but it's there for us. And so that's what we were warned against. Don't quench that because you need it to survive and to to thrive in this life uh, in the Lord Jesus. So he says, based on that, let us therefore fear. Now, this fear is more of a fear of losing out on that blessing. He says, you know, let's not allow anything to draw us away or to rob us of that blessing. So let's be on guard is what he's saying. He says, let us therefore fear unless a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. So that's the warning. Like don't allow anything to keep you from this rest. It is there for you. It's there for us as believers and I want you to have it. That's what he's saying. I want you to have this because it's crucial for your growth, your development, and for the growth and development of other believers around you and your ministry, your ministry on behalf of the Lord Jesus, which is our purpose here. And verse two, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. What is he, who is he talking about? So unto us, the gospel was preached. So nobody is saved apart from the gospel. But he's making a comparison back, looking back to uh, the people uh, traveling in the wilderness. And he's making a comparison to our current state and their state under that dispensation. Because under that dispensation, they had a gospel as well. They had good news. Jesus, in the form of um, uh, the ministry of Moses, came to them in the law. And this is your deliverance. I have delivered you from Egypt and I'm going to take you through the wilderness and I'm going to bring you to this land. That was a picture of salvation, the, the, the salvation that we have now in the Lord Jesus. It was a picture of that. And so they had a gospel or good news that was told unto them. And so we have that in the uh, Lord Jesus in the gospel message. We have the fulfillment of that, uh, in for us and so that's the picture that's being drawn here the comparison and he says for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them but the word preached did not profit them right because remember they grumbled and they never entered into that the land they never entered into that peace that settled relationship with god that generation never got to enjoy that and why well he says it's because uh, it was not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The key is, is that we must rely on our faith, our belief and our trust that God is going to take care of us, that God in Christ is going to make sure that in spite of anything that happens around us, no matter the situation, he is going to care for us. And that's that peace that we have. And it's confirmed in us by God, the Holy Spirit's ministry to comfort us and to empower us. Well, that's why we don't want to quench that. We need that so that we can constantly have that uh, empowerment to be able to walk this uh, in this life uh, that's full of, uh, you know, our trifold enemy, the world, our own flesh and the devil. So in verse three, he says, 
For we which have believed do enter into the rest, do enter into rest, as he said. So we have this. This is something we have through our belief, the belief that the faith that he has given us as a gift by grace, we now can enter into this rest, you know. And it says, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So now this is one of those verses that can throw you for a loop, right? Because it seems like that we've changed gears and we're talking about something completely different, but we're not. It appears that way. And that's what can be very confusing. This verse can be very confusing, but we're not. We're actually now experiencing something that only happens in the New Testament. The writer of the letter of the Hebrews is now revealing to us a mystery. That's something that we could not know apart from God revealing it to us. And this writer is now showing us the connection between the rest that we enter into, the peace, the walk, the steady walk with Christ and the rest associated with that. Now he's you know, opening up a door of revelation and saying, not only does that apply to that, but it also applies to a much bigger ministry or doctrine of rest. And that's what he's saying here. And so he says that as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall uh, enter into my rest. Now he says, although, so that's the connector saying now we're transitioning away from just the ministry of the rest that we enter into through um, the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, to this bigger picture of rest. So rest has a broader application now. And that's what he's saying. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So again, this is a lot to keep in mind. But remember, when we started this letter, we were talking about the ages. Remember in uh, verse uh, one, it says, God, who has sundry times in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he has also made the ages. So that's what this letter is about. It's talking about the dispensation of God, the dispensation of his revelation, and it's tying all these things together. So here we've come to a point where now we're going to see uh, we're back in the big picture of the dispensation. Now we're in a certain portion of the full revelation of God. We're in a certain time period of that. And so now he's going to look back and we've done this several times throughout this study where we've looked back to uh, Genesis and the beginning and, you know, Adam and Eve. And because that's a continuing thread throughout this revelation here in Hebrews, as well as in the Bible, but specifically we're talking about these ages. So now he's looking back again to the foundation of the world. He says, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So now we're opening up a, a much bigger picture of what rest and means and how to apply it in verse four for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise and god did rest the seventh day from all his works now we know that's in genesis and so now we're talking about the foundation of the world we're talking about when god created all things and then on the seventh day he rested so now we're seeing a broader application of the seventh day so that seventh day is not just the seven days of creation, but now the writer is applying that seven days to the whole of God's work. The, all of his work, his purpose and plan are now being surmised into that seven day. That seventh day is a picture of the completion of God's work and plan because God is not working anymore. Okay. In the sense that Jesus is sitting on a throne. He's exalted. He's been exalted through the heavens and he's sitting on the throne. All the work has been done. It's complete from his perspective. And now time and everything else is coming towards him, right? He's on the outside of that. And he's sitting there watching all of this unfold because 
he's completed this work. He's purposed everything and placed everything in motion. And on the seventh day, his work was done. Well, now that seventh day is being broadened. Application is being broadened saying that all of his work was done, not just the work in creation, but his purpose and plan for mankind, his eternal decree, all of that was completed back then. So nothing is surprising God. He's not like, oh my goodness, is this going to work out? It's all already taken care of. Now we are a part of time. We're not outside of time like he is. He is in eternity. And so we are subject to the rules and the effects of the and the laws of time, of space, of uh, all the physics associated with living this life and being three-dimensional beings. Now, we have learned through uh, research and study that there are multiple dimensions, that we just can't interact in those dimensions because we are three-dimensional uh, spatial beings, and so we're not able to interact in every dimension. But the point being is that God is not subject to his creation. He created all things for his purpose, his glory, and his honor. And he completed all that on the seventh day. So that's what it's saying. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day in this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. So that's the picture that's being um made and shown to us and now we've been it's been revealed to us or expanded upon that truth from genesis now by this writer to give us a further application of god's truth and that only happens in the new testament um where uh the writers uh take things that we know had an application then and then they show us how those things have a broader application to the plan and purpose of God. And here's a very clear example of that. So in verse five, and in this place, uh, if they shall enter into my rest. So he's referring to another place in scripture um, where he says, if they shall enter my, into my rest, he's, he's tying these two things together that we would not have tied together otherwise. So we're being, something is being revealed to us that we could not know apart from God revealing it to us. So in verse six, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein and they to whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. So he's saying based on this, seeing that there still is, uh, there's still a rest that people are going to enter into. There's a rest that goes beyond just this life, Right. The complete works of God. There's a rest that awaits us. Um, and that's what he's saying. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter in. And it's very important that you see that he says some. He does not say that everybody enters into this rest. Why? Because God has elected people that will enter in. And he's also elected people who will not. Now I know a lot of people don't like the doctrine of election they think it's mean or they're like no that can't be god wouldn't do that but it's very clear here that god is very specific in who he's talking to he's talking to those who have heard the gospel and the gospel also is uh, married to faith that has been given to them and that results in salvation a lot of people hear the gospel but they don't have the gift of faith and so they just hear it but when god through his grace gives us the gift of faith and we hear the gospel, the gospel becomes a, uh, activation agent for our, um, salvation that confirms our salvation. And we start a life of faith. Uh, so here we see that, uh, some, uh, seeing therefore it remained that some must enter therein. So not everyone and they, to whom it was first preached, entered not in because of unbelief. So here we're again, making the picture of the, the people who were in the wandered in the wilderness for all those years, they didn't enter in because of unbelief. They never came to a, uh, faith settled, uh, belief and understanding trust in God and in his word. 
and they had him in front of them. They saw him. I mean, they saw him in the form of a uh, pillar of a cloud uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night. So it has nothing to do with, well, if God would just manifest himself to people so people could see him, then they would believe. That's not how belief works because uh, belief comes through faith and faith is a, a gift from God. So by his grace. So that is the only way people are saved. There's no other way. Um, you can be blind and never see anything and you can be saved by faith, right? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's, that's how it works. Faith uh, and the gospel work together to in salvation. And these people, they um, entered not because of unbelief. They just didn't believe. And unbelief is something that even believers can suffer from because we have an old nature. And it causes us to stumble and it causes us to uh, not enter into the peace of God. We lose our peace when we uh, don't believe God. Uh, because if we're not believing God, we're believing a lie. That's just how it works. There's no other way to describe it. So the warning here is don't be like those people. In verse 7, and again, he limited a certain day saying in David, so speaking of the Psalms, today after so long a time, as it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. So to the believer, that's a warning that, uh, and we can do that. We can hear his voice, God, the Holy Spirit ministering to us, and we can harden our hearts to what he's telling us. Sometimes he's going to tell us things in his word that we don't want to hear. Right. He's going to tell us that we're wrong in what we're doing, we're wrong in our thinking. We're wrong in our feelings towards something, someone or um, some doctrine even. Uh, like, oh, I don't like that doctrine. Well, you may not like it, but that doesn't mean it's not real or true. And the smart thing to do, the wise and faithful thing to do, I should say, is to submit to the truth of the word and believe God. But there is the also that um, circumstance where we would not believe him and we would harden our harden our hearts towards the ministry. And that's what verse three was telling us. Don't do that because when you do that, you are hurting yourself. Literally, God is warning you not to go off and play in the street because cars are coming through and you're like, oh, I don't care. I'll be all right. But you don't know what he knows. You don't know that those cars are coming and they're coming faster than you can react and you're going to get hurt and you're going to be injured. And it may look fun, it may look good, it may look great, but it's going to result in your hurt or injury. And God loves us. God, the Holy Spirit, loves you and wants to protect you. So don't harden your hearts when he ministers to us. Don't do that because he's ministering out of love to protect you and to cause you to grow and to push you in areas you may not want to go. But you need to go there and trust the word of God. And that's what's being um, warned against here. It says that the people in the wilderness, they got preached the truth and they had no faith. So they didn't enter because of uh, they preached. It was first preached uh, that they didn't enter because uh, of unbelief. That was the, the stumbling stone. And it's the stumbling stone for us as well. In verse seven, and again, he limited the certain day saying in David today, uh, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. So that's the warning. Verse eight, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? So now we're seeing an, again, an a, uh, expansion on this doctrine of rest. So, um, if the rest that he was speaking of was limited just to entering into the land or only that peace that we get from not hardening our hearts, then that would have been the end of it. But when he spoke of another day, which speaks of 
an expanded application of this doctrine of rest. In verse 9, there remaineth therefore, based on that, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. So there is a broader application or an ultimate rest that remains for the people of God. So this takes us all the way back to where we're going to be um, partakers of the heavenly calling. You know, in verse three, where it's, I mean, in chapter three, verse one, where it says we're partakers of this heavenly calling in verse, in chapter two, where it talked about how we're going to be in this huge congregation, this ultimate redemption and when, you know, the eternal state where we're going to be fully in Christ gathered in heaven. That's what we're talking about now. Okay. That there remaineth a rest to the people of God. So there is a broader application of rest. And that's that's the rest that should encourage us to continue and to persevere in spite of all the things that try to make us to stumble. Be it physical, be it things in circumstances in the world, be it the devil, whatever. Uh, persevere. Believe God, persevere in the truth. Don't harden your hearts because we have this great promise of this ultimate rest for the people of God. Okay, so that's a great encouragement to us to persevere. In verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he also had ceased from his own works as God did from his. So this is this is building on that saying, now look, People who have entered into a rest, this is how we know we haven't entered into this ultimate rest yet. Because when you enter into this rest, you don't have, you cease from it, your works. There's no works to do. Just like God on the seventh day was finished with all his work. So there, there, there's this rest that remaineth for the uh, people of God. And we surely have not entered it yet because we're still at work. And again, this is, pointing us back to the fact that right now we have an opportunity to serve God in a way that we won't ever again. That when we enter this rest, all of our works are done. Verse 11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So don't let unbelief rob you, okay, of entering into the rest that he's given us now in the peace that we have through God, the Holy Spirit, and also this ultimate rest, right? Because we're storing up treasure against that day. That's what he told us. He says, don't seek for treasure in this world that can go away. Seek for treasure in heaven. How do you do that? By serving the Lord Jesus, because there are crowns, there's rewards associated with what we do here on his behalf. And that's eternal. That's an eternal reward. So don't allow unbelief to trip you up and to keep you from storing up that eternal treasure. And, you know, it's not just a selfish, I want treasure in heaven. The motivation for this wanting this treasure is because when you get to heaven, if you're a believer, when you get to heaven, you are going to be confronted with something that you've never felt before in your life. That is, you will have a greater and a full understanding of the purpose of God like you've never had. That's something that is going to happen when we get to heaven. We're going to be given that. And we're going to have... Our strongest desire at that point is going to be to worship and praise and thank the Lord Jesus. And how do you do that? You're going to do it with the treasure that he gives you. He's going to give you treasure based on what you did, the service you did for him right now in the life we're living. And you're going to want to give him far more than you'll have to give. But the only way you're going to have anything to give him 
is through our service now. So make that your focus because when you get to heaven, you will be so pleased to be able to give back to him what you earned. That's that's the objective. So this is the time to labor so that when we enter into that rest, our labor is done. So we have to do it now. So that's what it says. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief, because unbelief will rob us of service to God. Verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. So here we go. This seems like, well, why are we talking about the word of God now? We were talking about entering into this rest and the labor associated with it. Well, because the word of God is what gives us what we need to accomplish our labors. The word of God and the ministry of the word of God is the power we have to serve. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. So that means that it cuts through all the junk that would uh, try to hinder us from our service. Sharper than a two-edged sword, than any two-edged sword. Piercing to dividing asunder the soul and spirit. So we have the power to uh, separate that which is man and that which is God the soul and the spirit so that we can have a clear understanding of who we are in light of the word and who God is. And we need that, right? There's no other place that we can get that kind of understanding other than through the word of God. That's the only source of that. And we need that so that we can be successful in this life and serving him. And it says it divides and eat uh, the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. So now we're talking about the very practical application of the word and how that we can apply it in our everyday life. There's a um, guy I listen to uh, quite a bit. Um, he's gone now, but he has this through the Bible um, radio uh, program that's now been translated into a podcast. His name is Jay Vernon McGee. If you don't have never heard of him, look him up. I think it's really good and helpful to listen to his lessons. But he talks about where the rubber meets the road and how that you should apply the word of God should be worked out uh, in a way that it's in shoe leather. You know, it should not just be in your head. You should be walking this. It should be in your daily walk and people it should be manifested in your life. And and that's what we're talking about. That's what the word does it 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 it's a discerner of uh, it says a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart so it takes what we think is good and what we think our motivation should be and it reveals to us what our motivations really are and, and, and instructs us on what our motivation should be so if your motivation and your intent is good and it's in line with the word of god then you're good to go but if it's not you know, you could be deceived by your own heart. That's what the Bible says. The heart is desperately wicked. And who could know it? Well, no one can know it. But the word of God reveals to us what's in our heart in a way that, you know, nothing else or no one else will. So it's very important that we listen to that and that we not harden our hearts to that instruction. So that's the point of verse 12 and why it's placed here. Verse 13 Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. So the word of God reveals what we need to know about God to us. And at the same time, verse 13 says, God sees us clearly, right? Even the things that we think that no one sees, God sees that it's naked to him. It's bare. So uh, it's important for us to understand our position and who we are in relationship to him. And if we keep that in mind, I think it would make us to be more accountable for 
our thoughts and actions. And uh, we need to be more aware that uh, his eyes are on us even when our eyes are not on him. It's very important. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So now he's saying all these things I've said about Jesus and about how that he's superior to angels and to Moses and that we have this gift of God, the Holy Spirit ministering to us. We have this rest that is before us that we're going to enter and um, keeping all that in mind, uh, we have this great high priest. And we talked about the priesthood and the believer priest in past lessons and how Jesus is the great high priest. He's the one who has gone before us, before God the Father, to make the way for our entrance into this rest. He has, he is the great high priest. He's the apostle and high priest of our profession. So it may seem like you may say to yourself, well, this is all very hard. Like it's very difficult to do all of this. Well, this is why, this is our encouragement that we have this great high priest that is passed into the heavens. And it's not the Lord Jesus Christ or the great, God of everything, Elohim, uh, the God of hosts, it's Jesus. He says, Jesus, the same Jesus that was here on earth, the same Jesus that many of these Hebrew people knew uh, and saw and heard that he has uh, taken upon himself flesh like us. And so there's not a mountain. We haven't come to a mountain that's like Moses and the uh, the people came and they were like terrified and the thunderings and the, um, the sounds and the earthquakes and they were terrified, you know, they were terrified. But we don't have access to God that way. Now we have Jesus, one who is like us, who understands how difficult it is to live this life and has given us everything to be successful, even his own spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the son of God, that's who we, with whom we have to do. And he says, let us hold fast our profession. So don't let anything or anyone take you from your place and profession of faith. Uh, your salvation should be seen by others. And if we take our eyes off the Lord, if we don't, if we quench the ministry of the God and the Holy Spirit, they're not going to see a profession of Christ. They're going to see just us. And that's not very pretty to look at. We are made beautiful in Christ as we live and walk in God, the Holy Spirit, and we manifest the Lord Jesus. That's the beauty, the power and all the good that we can do is uh, in manifesting the Lord Jesus. Anything else they see outside of that is just us. And you can get that anywhere. It's not very, it's not worth anything. But our value is in our profession of faith. And our profession is the Lord Jesus. That he has come. He has manifested himself unto man. And he has redeemed, done the work to redeem man and become a great high priest on behalf of mankind. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have evidence and proof of the love of God, the love of the Father for the Son, and the love of the Son for those whom he has redeemed. And he proves that love through the gift of faith, through his grace alone. Not because we deserve it, but because he has placed his love upon us. That is the, our profession. And that's the walk that we should manifest those truths. And verse 15, for we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So basically this is the encouragement to say, 
Jesus knows whatever you're experiencing, however intimate the pain, uh, he knows. However, however you feel, the depths of your feelings that I can't know, and you can't know mine, even if I was very eloquent and able to express them, still you cannot know them. You can't enter into those feelings and that experience. But Jesus, he knows. Everything is uh, open unto the eyes of him whom we have to do. Uh, he knows. He knows how you feel. He knows what you're feeling. Um, somebody you, that you love passed away or you have to watch somebody you love suffer. He knows all of that. He knows how that feels. And he can minister to you in a way that no one else can. But guess what? That's through God, the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so critical that we don't quench God, the Holy Spirit, because we rob ourselves of this intimacy, this closeness, and this ministry that we have through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, you know, his name and his humanity, Jesus, the Savior, Yahshua. So it's important that we take heed to these warnings and that we are encouraged by the fact that there is a rest that we yet is before us, you know, and we have to accomplish the things that need to be accomplished in this life. And in verse 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have Jesus who understands and knows what we're going through like no one else does. We have that. Uh, he was touched and tempted in all ways, yet without sin. Like we can't say that. We've been touched, tempted, and we sin. He did not. So he knows um, what that's like and can minister us and show us how to be tempted without sin. We just have to not harden our hearts to his instruction. And it says, let us therefore come boldly. Well, there is no other way we can come to Jesus. I mean, can you imagine approaching God in any other way? You'd have It's boldness to even say his name is bold, you know. Uh, but we have been given this closeness to him and this comfort and in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we're tempted and we do sin, and we should be judged and forever cast into the lake of fire. That's what we should get. But because of Jesus and what he's done, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can step up with no fear with a boldness, the kind of boldness that you have when you go to your parents in a time of need. You're not worried about going to them. You run to them because that's a safe place. That's a place where, you know, you, there's a there's trust and there's comfort and there's strength. And you run to that place boldly. You don't worry that, oh my goodness, can I go to them? You go to them with boldness. And that's how Jesus has afforded that for us through his ministry. Um, as a high priest, he's given us that access that we didn't have to the Father. And so that's how we go to him. And it's through the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important not to quench God, the Holy Spirit. And why do we go to this throne of grace? What is the purpose? That we may obtain mercy because that's what we need. We need mercy. It's, it's, we don't want justice because justice would mean that we'd be uh, judged. We want mercy. We want love in spite of ourselves. We want help in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. That's mercy. And we have mercy in the Lord Jesus. We have that now. And the writer is telling us, don't rob yourself of that by quenching uh, hardening your heart and quenching in God the Holy Spirit's ministry. Enjoy that peace and that access to God and that mercy that we need every day. 
And it says that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this is the key to success over unbelief is to listen to God, the Holy Spirit, obey the instructions that were given in the word of God, lean on the word of God, know that the Lord is there for us and to always uh, go to him boldly. Because, you know, once you, if you do something and you're out of fellowship and in sin, you confess your sin, you have to be pretty bold. It takes boldness to go when you know that you're guilty. But we can do that because he has ample mercy for us. So be bold. Go to him boldly. I remember when I first uh, was taught this. It was such a revelation to me to know that I could approach God with boldness. That it's his mercy is always there for me through the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Lord Jesus. And you have that as well. Everyone who is saved, you have that. Take advantage of it because we always are in need and that grace is there for us. So this is the ministry of the expanded ministry of the, the rest of God. We want to enter into that rest. We will enter into that rest. And we only have this time while we're uh, on earth to uh, minister in a way to glorify God in such a way to earn rewards. So let us keep our eyes on him. Uh, submit to the ministry of the word and God the Holy Spirit in us so that we can enjoy this access to the throne of grace and that we can one day hear well done thy good and faithful servant that should be our objective let's close father thank you for your ministry thank you for the word thank you for the understanding you give us i pray father you would help us to uh, know and understand your will for us individually and as uh, a body uh, that we would fulfill the purpose of that you have for us in this life and that we would do it in such a way that would uh, manifest uh, you unto others that our profession would be known and to be seen even in spite of us father through your power and through your grace it's in jesus name we pray amen